For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. The following is a Hoop Bowl presentation. What is going on? It's the Hoop Ball Clippers podcast coming at you on a Saturday evening after the Los Angeles Clippers fall in game one to the Dallas Mavericks, 113 to 103. I'm your host, Brandon Marcus, and immediately joined by the man, the myth, the legend, Justin Wilson of LA Clippers Film, my co host. He joins us normally every other week. We'll see how things go during this playoff run. Perhaps get Justin on a little more often. I-, I wish I had you on, Justin, after a game one victory, but I was slightly prepared for a game one loss after reading. Law and the Athletic predict that a game one loss could very much happen because of this lead up with the Clippers resting their starters and not having their mojo going in. I mean, the Clippers went through a nice stretch during the season where they won a bunch when they had a bunch of games all together. I think it was 12 games in 20 days. And then they obviously had a rough stretch to end the season. We'll get into, obviously, the X's and O's. We'll get into the players. How you feeling, though, right now as we sit here about four hours after the game has ended? Um, I'm feeling all right. I'm feeling all right. I think um, this is partly expected. Um, I think I even mentioned it four hours ago, and I did a pod with, uh, with the people over at the Lob the Jam for two one three hoops and i said the one thing that worried me about the clippers is they don't their lack of a runway which is like Kawhi leonard he hadn't played that much we were trying to integrate him into the rotation we were trying to integrate patrick beverly into the rotation and they didn't look all that great then they didn't play at all to end the year then we had a week off and um you know they got punched in the mouth to start and they really had been fighting uphill from a playoff intensity standpoint the entire game and i always say that you know you can't just jump into playoff basketball and think it's gonna go well you know what i mean like um you saw it with the lakers wednesday night against golden state when you face a team that's been playing at a high level of intensity and dallas had been right like Tim Hardaway Jr., Luka Doncic, they've been playing the last 15 games for Dallas, you know? So I I just felt that there was going to be um, a time where we we have to figure out when we're going to get to that playoff level of intensity. I felt like as the game went on, we finally got to that point. But that's really one of the major things with this Clipper team is like, playing with that fire, playing with that frenetic, controlled energy. And um, you saw Dallas playing with that to start. And um, we got punched in the mouth first. And um, hopefully that's not the case for game two. Give credit to the Mavs. They were really good today. Absolutely. And they, Absolutely. they shot the ball really well. Rick Carlisle is one of the best coaches in the NBA. Anyone that thought this series was going to be a walkover, I didn't think that was going to be the case. I thought the Clippers were going to win in five games. 
Um, I did expect them to win game one, but now that the loss has happened, it makes a lot of sense in terms of what happened leading up to it. And you put out a stat before the game even started. I think it was 56 minutes is how many minutes the Clippers starting five had played together. And listen, Dallas jumped on the Clippers right away. And I thought Lucas, um, Lucas Jahan on Twitter, you uh, retweeted something from him and he did four takeaways from the game. I thought he was spot on with the way he analyzed the game. And one of the points that he brought up was that the Clippers tend to get behind against teams and don't get those big leads and then put teams away. And you gave Dallas a lot of confidence early on in this game. And we we can attack this from so many different angles because I think there's a lot we can discuss. We can talk about uh, individual players. And I think we can talk about just the numbers that have occurred going into this game and what happened in this actual game. Let's start with the actual numbers and what we've seen all season. And it's not, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out that the Clippers were one of the best three-point shooting teams in NBA history coming in. The Clippers shot 11 for 40. That's 27.5%. That's not going to happen this entire series, okay? Marcus Morris, one of the best three-point shooters this season, was 0 for 6. That's not going to happen. Paul George, 2 for 8. That's not going to happen every game. Reggie Jackson, one of the better catch-and-shoot three-point specialists in the league, 0 for 3. Ibaka, 0 for 3. Kawhi, 1 for 6. So everyone that's freaking out, calm down for a second. Because the Clippers are going to hit their threes. Dallas, on the other hand, shot 47% from distance, 17 for 36. That won't continue. So let's talk about just the three-point shooting before we get into anything else. The three-point shooting. We knew the Clippers were a great three-point shooting team. That didn't happen in game one. I've said to you on this show, my biggest concern is that when the Clippers aren't hitting their threes because they shoot so many of them, and there are teams, by the way, that shoot a lot more than them, but because it seems like they rely on their three ball to go in order for the rest of the offense to flow, that always worried me. But when you look at the three-point shooting, do you agree that it's something that is kind of an anomaly the way game one went and how well Dallas shot and how poorly the Clippers shot. Well, I, I, honestly, yes. Right. We can, we can talk about certain adjustments that Ty Lue should have made. We can talk about the coverages that they put on Luka Doncic, whether or not it was yeah. right or wrong. But at the end of the day, if Luka Doncic is going to go five for 11 and the Dallas Mavericks are going to go 17 for 36 from three. And, and like, these threes, most of the Dallas Mavericks threes were not open, you know, especially Lucas. They were heavily contested. If they are going to make that, then you tip your cap, you shake their hand, and, you know, you try to match their shot making on the other end, which is honestly a big reason why we lost. A lot of people don't want to um, attribute basketball to that, but sometimes it's a make or miss league. And if you miss as much as we did, and that Dallas makes as much as they did, it's going to be almost impossible to win. And honestly, I don't even think today was an over-reliance from three because if Dallas is going to shoot that well, it doesn't matter how many threes we shoot or don't shoot, you're going to lose. Um, so, yeah, to your point, it definitely was an anomaly of sorts. But um, I do think there are things that we we could have done from a from a tangible as 
aspect to help our chances to win. But I thought we were right there. We had the game with like six minutes left to go, which says a lot given the three point disparity throughout the game. That's a big reason why that's uh, why I'm so encouraged. Yeah. And I wrote down, I put in my notes that there were a couple situations and a couple uh, possessions that really determined how the ending went. And the Clippers, let's not forget, they ended up taking a lead. And so they had a chance. There were a couple things that happened. Rondo missed a layup late that he usually makes. PG was called for the elbow on the offensive foul when he swung his arm when he had a fast break. If that layup goes in, different game. PG took a quick three when I believe they were down by three. And he missed. Yeah. It was a bad possession. Mm-hmm. There were certain possessions that just weren't good down the stretch. Now, granted, PG had a couple huge threes when the Clippers needed it in the fourth quarter. And he finally woke up. But there were just possessions that didn't go the Clippers' way. And I really thought this was a 50-50 type game in the last five or six minutes. It, yep. it, it could have gone either way. Uh, the one thing is the Clippers can look at the score and they lost by 10. And you can look at the three-point shooting. And I think if you look at the three-point shooting and you look at the turnovers, the Clippers only had five turnovers. This could have been a lot worse. If the Clippers turned over the basketball, then this really could have been a lot worse. If they wouldn't have given up as many second-chance points, it could have been closer. But there were just certain numbers that show that Dallas just outplayed the Clippers overall. And yet the Clippers were still in there And they had a chance despite everything going against them. So I think there is some optimism going forward, given that it really seemed like everything except for the turnovers went against the Clippers this game. Yeah, I mean, to your point, Dallas definitely played well. But I I tweeted this out on May 18th that Dallas over their last 35 games had a 118 offensive rating and that Dorian Finney-Smith is shooting like a career high from the corners and that Tim Hardaway Jr. is shooting about 40 percent from three on the year. So like this wasn't totally unexpected. Their shooting from three was an outlier, a big outlier, but. They're high potent offense. And so for the Clippers to be so ice cold and still have a lead in the fourth quarter and have a chance to win it, that kind of tells you, honestly, this is going to sound like a homer kind of a take, but it te- it kind of shows you how good the Clippers actually are. If they if both teams hit close to their averages from the three point line, the Clippers probably win this game going away. And honestly, if you're the Dallas Mavericks and you have this kind of offensive performance, you probably should have won by like 20 to 25 points. The fact that you didn't speaks a little bit to how good the Clippers are. And if the Clippers give get maybe a, even a B game on Tuesday night, um, we're tying this series 1-1. And so, yeah, I'm pretty optimistic. Um, Dallas is really good though. Like, you know, I, I, I said, um, they, they've got some real, they've got some real power offensively and, and we're going to have to come play with some force and some intensity. And I think this was our welcome to the playoffs moment. We hadn't played, um, in some high intensity games in a very long time. So this was our welcome to the playoff moment. And I think we'll be good from here. Yeah, I, I tend to agree. And by the way, Finney Smith, you mentioned it. He's been good. Uh, coming in. I mean, he's he'll have his 0 for 6, he'll have his 0 for 4 from 3, but overall, I mean, 
coming in his last couple of games, six of nine from the field, three of five from three, six of eight from the field, four of six from three, four of five from the field, one of one from three. So he, he's certainly capable of these types of ball games. And now let's go to, I think, one of the biggest talking points and something that you mentioned a lot on Twitter during the game and after the game. And that is, what do the Clippers do with Luka? Because he had 31 points, 10 rebounds, 11 assists. He had a great series last year against the Clippers. The guy is one of the best players in the NBA. I mean, you tip your cap to him. He is absolutely incredible. He was hitting shots um, over Zoo that were very difficult. And there's when I say that, there's a couple things to attack from that one line that I just said. Number one, I'm of the belief that Zoo should not be guarding Luka as often as he was in this game. I don't think you want that to be the case. I understand it was difficult. Um, there were difficult shots that Luka made over Zoo, but there's a reason why Chris Paul used to always have a big switch on to him. There used to be a reason why that occurred. He felt like the matchup favored him in his ability to get to his spot, and even if he had to shoot over the big, which he did a lot, it ended up working in his favor. So I think you need you have Kawhi and PG for a reason. Dallas made you switch. That's what they're going to want to do. The Clippers need to figure out how to attack him. So back to what I was originally saying with Luka. What do you do with him? Because he was shooting over Zoo. He was making shots. He was facilitating. You mentioned on Twitter, they got to figure out a way to make him either just a scorer or just a facilitator. Because if you allow him to do both, you're cooked. So what do you do? Well, I'm going to push back slightly on the zoo thing. Please do. Please do. Because Luka Doncic is a first-team All-NBA player. He's going to score regardless. So I... I, I overreacted. Um, if he's going to make those shots, he's going to make those shots. Like, he shot the hell out the ball in the first half, and we were only down five, despite the fact that we made, like, four of 18 from three in the first half. So his shot making, despite how great it was in the first half, didn't kill us. It was our offense and our inability to make shots, right? So for me, I think if it's much easier to kind of switch and let him try to beat you as a scorer, then um, try to like finagle your way to make him into solely a passer because he's going to score anyway, right? You're much more likely to be able to control Luca to varying degrees if you can limit the Dorian Finney-Smith three balls, if you can limit the Tim Hardaway Jr. three balls. But when you overreact to Luca as a scorer, then that's when everyone else gets involved. So. For me, the the shooting that he displayed today, especially over Luke, I mean, especially over Zoo, was not too discouraging. Um, what what was discouraging though was when we started trapping him and the role players started getting off. Right, Luca was making all of these shots today, and we had the lead with like six minutes left, despite not making any threes today. So his shot making honestly did not kill us as much as it felt. I kind of tweeted this out. His shot making at times feels more discouraging than it actually is because 
it's such a demoralizing shot that step back over like a bunch of great defense. That's, that's a tough shot. And if he makes it, you got to tip your cap. But once you start like double teaming, you're scrambling, you're leaving really good shooters wide open. I think you're better off just switching, playing him one-on-one and just seeing if he can beat you by scoring 40, 50 points a game and seeing if that single offense can beat the Clippers attack. And I'm confident in the Clippers shooting and shot making and scoring, they'll be able to shoot and score enough points to win games in this series. Um, if they allow Luka Doncic to spray the ball all over the floor, in addition to his scoring, that's when it's going to be problematic. So I think if you're looking for the best route to handle Luka and there's not any particularly advantageous routes to go to with a guy that good. But if you're looking for the one that has the best, most optimal chances is to make him be a scorer and switching and putting zoo on him, making him take and make tough fadeaways. That's the route to go for me because everything else makes defense 10 times harder. Here's my other concern with zoo guarding him. You take zoo away from the rim and you allow yourself to give up second chance points. That's fair. That's and, fair. and that's also another issue that is going to arise and did arise. So my question is, what's the right solution? Because we saw Clipper Nation clamoring for Zoo all season. We finally got Zoo. And then today we got Zoo for 19 minutes. And Which he should have played a lot more, man. And, and here's the thing with Zoo. He was a minus 13 in his 19 minutes. So it's not one of those things where normally we look at his plus minus and we're like, dude, look at his plus minus. He was great. He's got to play more. He wasn't good in his minutes um, overall in terms of how the Mavs did against him. And part of that, like you said, is tough shots that were made over him by Luka. If Luka misses a couple of those shots... Zoo may play four or five more minutes. He may play even more than that. So the question is, how often do you stick with a big lineup with Zoo in there? And are you comfortable with Zoo continuing to guard Luka? And what's the right answer? How often do you go to a small lineup? How often do you keep Zoo in there? What do you think? So, again, I it's Luka Doncic. So there aren't any perfect or anywhere near perfect solutions. He's going to make first team all NBA this year. He's he's really one of those guys like he's an elite basketball player. So there's nothing you can do as far as like a perfect solution. But I think Zoo's pros outweigh his cons here. And if the best Dallas is getting is shots over a seven footer who's contesting their jumpers, then I think you can I think you can live with that. And I think Zoo, what Zoo brings to the table on offense as a vertical rim threat and what he brings on defense and what he brings as a potential rebounder, um, I think outweighs whatever weaknesses he may have on display. So if you can because every time I think we can agree every time Zoo was on the floor, Luka Doncic and the Mavericks were seeking him out. Yes. And and if that is what's happening, I think that's almost this is going to sound crazy, but that's a win for the Clippers, man, because Luka Doncic is not going to beat you scoring a bunch of points. Luka Doncic will beat you if he's scoring 25-30, but um, Tim Hardaway Jr. is scoring 25, and and Dorian Finney-Smith is making threes. That will beat you. Luka Doncic as a scorer won't beat you by himself. And if you can kind of, like, guilt the Mavericks into going at Zubak 
in that way, then that's kind of a that's kind of good. Like like at the very least, you're limiting a bunch of a bunch of other options, and you're kind of saying, "Here, Luca, try and score as much points as you want." Eventually, he'll miss, and eventually, he'll get tired, which is honestly what happened today. And um, you know, and I I. I was saying this earlier to a buddy of mine, like he had all of this shot making and the Clippers, if they make even like half of the threes that they normally make, they would have been up at the half and they would have probably won this game running away. Yeah. So like, like as great as he was, the Clippers shooting was probably a much bigger story here as far as why they lost. And so Luka Doncic's scoring and the way he played today, his scoring was not discouraging. Him spraying the ball and finding Dorian Finney-Smith and Tim Hardaway Jr., that was. That was. Like, there's not much you can do when he's step-backing and making shots, falling out of bounds like he did, like, in the beginning of the third quarter. That's There's not much you can do about that. That's kind of what you want, though. And I'm, I'm, I'm being serious. Like, that's that's what you want instead of open threes from really good three-point shooters. So if it were if it were me, I'd just stick to the game plan. Like, game plan discipline, man. Like, you have to have the courage to stick with a game plan even when it's not going in your favor because the law of averages, you hope, will, um, will, will play out. And if they don't, you're going to lose anyway. So, like, I, I don't know, man. I... I'm I'm probably alone on this island, but like once the Clippers started like bending over backwards because Luca was making insane shots, I felt like they lost a little bit of a grip on the game, and that's kind of where they lost the game at down the stretch. Interesting, because I can look at it the other way and say that the Clippers were just adjusting to the fact that Luca was cooking them. But I also get what you're saying, and I think it makes a lot of sense that you can't let him do both, and he's so good. And I think the one concern would be, like I said, it'd be if you give up a bunch of offensive rebounds. But that is one of those things where you just see how the game goes. And if you're getting crushed in the glass when Zoo's on the floor because he's out there guarding Luka, then you adjust. But but I I don't think that's something that you need to be completely concerned about. And it kind of brings me to uh, another player, and that's Pat Beverly. And the Clippers were really excited to get him back for the playoffs. But you and I have talked about this now for over a year that you'll get bad Pat Bev and there will be certain situations where you'll get bad Pat Bev and you'll get good Pat Bev. You look at his final line and you look at 10 points, four of six, two of four from three. That's not so bad, but you got Pat Bev to bad Pat Bev to start. He was not good. He was acting just silly the way he was trying to guard Luca and he was not providing anything offensively. He was 0 for 1 when he was on the field. Uh, but when you're going to go and have Zoo guarding Luka on the perimeter, you need rebounding. And Pat Bev is one of the best rebounding guards in the entire NBA. So you put him on the floor with long PG, Kawhi, Marcus Morris. You're, you should have guys that should be able to rebound if Zoo gets pulled away from the hoop. What are your thoughts on the guard rotation? Because Pat Bev played 17 minutes. He had some really bad moments, but also some good moments. When the Clippers mm. need him to help open three, he did. Rondo played 24 minutes. I thought Rondo looked really good. 11 points, 4 rebounds, 4 assists. I thought he led the team really well. And Rondo was 3 of 4 from 3, by the way. So uh, I know we were talking a lot over the last couple of months about his 3-point shooting. And it, it finally it looks like the playoff Rondo is a thing. The guy hits threes come playoff time. He shoots over 40% from 3 over the last couple postseasons. And that's continued. And then Reggie Jackson, 
who we applauded. Oh boy. We applauded throughout this entire season the way he filled in for Pat Bev. But we saw today the regular season's very different from the playoffs. And when you're not good defensively, you're going to be targeted. And Luca yep. was targeting Reggie Jackson. And if you're not providing anything offensively while you're getting crushed on the defensive end, you're of no use. And he was one of six from the field, 0 for 3 from 3. How long do you give Reggie Jackson? And back to my original question, what are your thoughts on Pat Bev, 17 minutes, Rondo, 24, and Reggie Jackson, 21? I thought as the game went on, Patrick Beverly um, played better. He got some stuff going, got a short roll when the Clippers were doing their guard-guard pick-and-rolls. He started making better decisions there. Paul George went to the rim and found him for an open three. I thought 17 minutes was just too low, quite frankly. I thought he, as the game was going on, um, he was getting better. And part of that is like him just not being able to stay out of foul trouble. But um, I, I, I have faith that he'll he'll figure it out. Um, I thought he had moments in the second half that were um, encouraging, and everything. I, I want to ditto everything you said about um, Rajon Rondo. Uh, he was fantastic, and twenty four minutes for him is just too low, right? Like I think he, I think both he and um, Patrick Beverly, not maybe not Patrick Beverly, but Rondo should be at least at thirty, and probably a little bit over thirty minutes if if we're being honest, and. Quite frankly, I do not think Reggie Jackson is just someone that um, he his lease should be pretty short come playoff time. Honestly, like like if he's not making threes, this it's pretty cut and dry because the Dallas Mavericks are going to seek him out whenever he's on the floor, whether it be with Jalen. He's always going to be on the floor with either Jalen Brunson or and or Luka Doncic, and they're going to seek him out. And he's just not a defender at the playoff level. And the playoffs are so relentless. They will seek you out. They will target you. Um, the moment he got in the game, he lost Tim Hardaway Jr. for a three. He lost Dorian Finney-Smith for a three. He was just a total mess on that end of the floor. And you can't have that. And he didn't make enough threes to justify being out there. And so I'm very curious to see how Ty handles those minutes. But I, I'm pretty confident in saying that Rondo and Pat Bev should be getting all of the guard minutes in terms of those two. And Reggie Jackson should get almost none of them. Um, that's pretty harsh to say. But, like, you can't play three. You shouldn't be playing three guards in the playoffs anyway especially when you got Paul George and Kawhi Leonard handling the ball as much as they do anyway. So um, if, if Reggie Jackson is going to play, I'd, I'd have a real short leash with him real short. Um, but yeah, I, I was encouraged by Rondo. Um, there were some things from Patrick Beverly that was encouraging. Um, I'm going to lean on Pat Bev's equity. I think that as the playoffs goes, goes along, there's going to be even more encouraging moments from him. Um, and at the very least, he's going to defend. And I have confidence that at some point his open three ball will start to fall. Um, I don't have confidence in Reggie Jackson on a defensive end. And I think I think he hemorrhages points and he compromises our defense to a degree that makes me uncomfortable with him being on the floor. So all the minutes to uh, Rondo and Pat Bev. Sorry for being long-winded on that. No, not long-winded at all. And I think it's worth attacking each player here. So Reggie Jackson was a plus 13 today, which is 
odd. Goodness gracious. <laughs> yeah, which is odd considering the, the what we saw. I mean, he wasn't good shooting the basketball. He wasn't good defensively. But he was still a plus 13, and that led the Clippers, which is interesting. And you wonder how much Ty Lue looks at that. Part of the reason why he was introduced so early is because Pat Bev only played three minutes before he got two fouls. So that might play a role in him playing so many minutes today. Um, he played 21 was, was because of the foul trouble for Pat Beverly. Now, the question is, what does that mean with Pat Bev and Rondo? Because Ty Lue said he doesn't like those two on the floor together. And he did put them on the floor together for instances today. I mean, there were moments the two were on the floor. So I think with Pat Bev, like you said, there's certainly a history there to suggest that he's going to be better. Reggie Jackson, there's a history in the Dallas series to show that Luca hunts him and that it's a problem. So I think my question here is with Pat Bev, do you put him on Luca? Because it's because no. it, okay, so no, that, it, and I appreciate that because Sabrina, <laughs> Sabrina tweeted it pretty quickly where she said that Pat Bev being out actually helped the Clippers because it allowed them to put their wings on Luca. So, what do you do with Pat Bev if he's on the floor and he's obviously the point guard and Luca's the point guard? So, what do you do with Pat Bev um, when he's on the floor and Luca's on the floor? Um, so the, the, Pat Bev being on the floor with Luca is not inherently a problem. It's when that's the initial matchup because they're going to go straight to posting up Luka Doncic and that's an and one or a foul every time. Um, the, the issue is like from the jump ball, that was the matchup like Patrick Beverly on Luca, And that was problematic. That I, I didn't understand that. I didn't get it at all. Because if Patrick Beverly is like guarding like Tim Hardaway Jr. or Dorian Finney Smith, they're not going to seek out Patrick Beverly. They're not. Because Luka Doncic playing pick and roll basketball to get Patrick Beverly on him is not at that advantageous. But if that's his matchup, then he can just walk him down to the block. So for me, I, I just don't want to see Patrick Beverly um being initially assigned to Luka Doncic. If it's a switch that happens with like 10 seconds on a shot clock and he's got a dribble against Patrick Beverly, then I'm I'm I I could I'm not I'm I can live with that. Um because Patrick Beverly is a really good defender. He can be undisciplined and he'll foul, but he's not going to be somebody that Luka Doncic is going to hunt unless that's his assignment and he can take him to the block. So them two being on the floor at the same time isn't inherently an issue. It's when that is his assignment. And that's when, like, right off the jump ball, when Patrick Beverly was was assigned to Luka, they just went right to the block. And that is an issue. But him being on the floor, that's, that's not an issue for me. You just got to, like, maybe put him on Dorian Finney-Smith, put him on Tim Hardaway Jr., put him on even, like, Maxi Kleba, um, just not Luka Doncic. Yeah, it, it's an interesting situation because you got to have a guy like Pat Bev on the floor for what he provides and rebounding the basketball and defensively and leadership. And the question is, what do you do? Um, let's take a quick break. Talk about our friends over at mybookie.ag. People are always asking me, where am I betting? And Justin, I know that you like to put a bet or two in. And I got to tell you, 
my bookie is the place to go. The rep is rock solid. They've got the best odds, contests, and promotions in the business. The Clippers were minus five and a half going into today's game. If you took Dallas Moneyline, well, you were a winner there. We'll see, though. What do you think about game number two? The Clippers should be another five-point favorite. If you want to bet on the Clippers, all you got to do is sign up. Enter the promo code HOOPBALL. Get your deposit matched halfway up to 1000 bucks. Head over to MyBookie if you want to add a little excitement to the sports you love and the games you bet. Whether it's the Premier League, the final matches tomorrow, or maybe if it's baseball or hockey, the playoffs going on, NBA playoffs, you can bet on it all. They've also got stuff like blackjack tournaments. Go ahead, visit our friends over at MyBookie.ag. Bet with the best, bet with MyBookie. All right, so Reggie Jackson, what's the leash how short is the leash? And if he's not performing and he's not hitting those threes, because if he's hitting those open threes, then he can stay on the floor. I mean, if he's going to hemorrhage points on the defensive end and not help you on the offensive end, different story. So if he's not performing on the offensive end, you said it's a short leash. Who are you bringing in? Are you playing Terrence Mann? Are you playing Luke Kennard? I'm assuming it's a man because he's better defensively. I, I wouldn't I wouldn't bring any of them in. Like what are you doing I, then? It's the playoffs. Like starting five and you go with an eight man rotation. Wow. With um with with Nico, Serge, and Rondo off the bench. And um and maybe a hint of Reggie Jackson or a hint of Luke Kennard or a hint of Terrence Mann. Maybe whoever whoever you think can change the complexity of the game for maybe five to eight minutes. But not much, not much after that. Like you know, it's the playoffs, man. Um, there, you got you you can try and go nine deep, but like as you saw today, like that's there's just it's just there's just not enough minutes, honestly. When you got Paul George and Kawhi playing so many minutes, and rightfully so during the playoffs, so um, I'm comfortable with going to an eight man rotation, and if you want to go nine then that ninth man is not going to, or at least in my opinion, shouldn't be playing more than like maybe like a shift or two unless he's like hitting threes and like during his first shift, he like changes the game and is like having a really good go at it. Let me ask so, you something because what's changed with Terrence Mann where we were all gung-ho about him being in the rotation and him needing to get minutes come playoff time to now it's getting to the point where Maybe he shouldn't play. What have you seen from his play that makes you think that maybe he shouldn't be involved in the series? Uh, it's it's not that. It's just that again, um, where 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 are the minutes going to come? I I if if and I let me let me pull it up here. If Kawhi Leonard is going to play forty one minutes, yeah. and if Paul George is going to play forty minutes, and if Nicholas Batum is going to play thirty two minutes, and Marcus Morris is going to play at least thirty three minutes, um, and Patrick Beverly hopefully can play more than seventeen, and you hope that Rondo can get into the thirties, there's just not that many minutes for um for a guy like Terrence Mann, and I felt like. You know, going into the playoffs, Terrence proved himself to be a really good depth piece for like, you know, in case like somebody got in foul trouble or or something like that. But I didn't think he was someone that just had to play. I didn't think I didn't think he was someone that like forced his way into the playoff rotation, so to speak. So um, I don't think nothing changed as much as like Terrence is just a second year guy and there's just not enough minutes 
for him to go. And honestly, that that was something that was just going to happen once your starters started playing playoff type of minutes. You know, if they're playing 40, 41 minutes and you've got guys off the bench playing in the high 30s, then um, things start to things minutes start to become hard to come by. Yeah, that makes sense, because uh, if you assume that Pat Bev will get up to, let's say, 23, 24 you take away six more minutes from Reggie Jackson, that's only 15. Rondo, let's say, maybe gets up to 27, 28. All of a sudden, Reggie Jackson's minutes are down to maybe 12 because um, you are, will bump up Ibaka's minutes maybe by four or five as well once he gets uh, more acclimated. So certainly, that, I think that makes sense that there's only going to be about 10 to 13 minutes left available. Um, and so it just depends in terms of how the rotations are going to go. One thing that I think was really minor, but I think it is worth bringing up, um, the Clippers were within a possession or two late, but they missed free throws. Those are yep. free throws that you need to make. I mean, Rondo missed free throws. Kawhi missed free throws. Marcus Morris missed both free throws when he shoots over, over 80% from the line. Uh, that I just want to throw that in there because I think it's worth bringing up that it just adds to the fact that there just are certain things that happen in this game that don't happen often. The Clippers don't shoot this poorly from three. The Clippers don't miss those free throws that they normally made. I just think that that's another thing that you can add to why this game should have been a little bit closer than what it actually was in terms of the final score being a 10-point game. The Clippers could have very easily won if they hit a couple of free throws and a couple of threes. So I just wanted to throw that in there. Do you have anything to say about that? Yeah, it. It. I mean... Unless I don't think there needs to be a um, a deep dive on that. That right. just that just alludes to what we were talking about earlier, right? Like the anomalies that came within this game, like Marcus Morris missing, Kawhi Leonard missing. Like this is the best shooting team of all time from the free throw line, and they missed a ton. So like. You know, I'm I'm not gonna call somebody who like is a two-time NBA champion and a Finals MVP somebody like choking at the free throw line. Like shit happens. Sometimes you miss free throws, and they missed free throws. And um, I don't count on that happening again in the future. It's just one of the anomalies, you know. And it's it's the playoffs, and sometimes you get unlucky. And the Clippers got some bad luck when it comes to sh- when it came to shooting today. Yeah, by the way, in terms of the rotations, you and I were talking about the minutes and talking about whether the eight-man rotation makes sense. The Mavs did not play more than seven players. Um, When you look at minutes, nine minutes or less, there were three of them. Ten minutes or more, there were seven of them. So, there you go. So the Mavs had a really short bench. I mean, the, off the bench, Brunson played 21, Richardson played 17, Melly played 9, Powell played 7, Collie Stein played 4. So uh, Dallas showed you that you very easily can go with primarily 7 or 8 guys with a couple other random guys mixed in. And for the Clippers, they'll go with not 8, eight guys. And then Reggie Jackson's minutes very easily could be shrinked. That that is entirely possible. You just give Reggie's minutes to um. You give you give Reggie half of Reggie's minutes to um Patrick Beverly, yeah. the other half to like Rajon Rondo, and then you roll with that eight man rotation. Yeah. And if somebody needs a break within like midway through the second shift, um, you you can try Reggie Jackson there. And if it doesn't go well, then you just you just go away from him for the night. Um, I just don't think that nine a nine man rotation is actually even plausible 
given um, how many minutes you're already giving to your starters and the three guys off the bench. I also thought that Serge should have probably played just a tad bit more. Yeah. Um, but but yeah, I'm I'm Reggie Jackson played fantastic for us this year. Um, he played well enough to um, gain another contract in the NBA, which wasn't a guarantee going into the last offseason. So kudos to him. But yeah, I, I just don't feel comfortable out there with his defense. And so I'm not saying you can ben- you should bench him entirely. But I am saying that like if Reggie Jackson plays like anywhere from six to nine minutes, that I'm not going to be mad at that. I, I, I think 21 is way too high unless he's like just shooting like four or five on threes or something like that. Yeah, there's one more guy I want to talk about. And then if there's anything else you want to discuss, holler at me. Um, and that is Porzingis, because we talked mm-hmm. about how Dallas is going to have these guys like Hardaway and Dorian Finney-Smith that will chip in. And the question is, how much can you limit those two from chipping in? Because Finney-Smith was 4-5 from 3, 7-9 of nine overall. Hardaway was 8-13, of 5-9 of nine from 3. Coming in, by the way, Hardaway Jr. had been incredible. He was inserted in the starting yep. lineup. I talked about it on the preview pod with Lawrence about how Hardaway Jr. had basically forced his way into that starting lineup. And he showed why in this game. I mean, he is simply a very good scorer. So those two guys ended up combining for nine threes. Porzingis was absent for pretty much the entire game. Just did not appear to be someone that the Clippers were concerned about. He didn't seem like he wanted to get involved in the game until late when the Clippers were doubling on other guys and they were leaving him on the baseline for dunks, he played 36 minutes and only had 14 points. He was four of 13 from the field. There's going to be a game where he gets going most likely, but where do we stand with Porzingis and the fear factor of him in this series? Because it really does seem like he and Luca were the one, two for this team, but if they're going to be successful, it feels like it's going to have to be what this recipe was today. And that's Luca with the role players being the ones that contribute. Because if Porzingis is contributing, that probably means that shots are being taken away from some good shooters in Hardaway Jr. and Dorian Finney-Smith. What do you think? Yeah, I I don't like this series for KP at all. Um, the Clippers smartly did not put zoo on um on on kp they instead opted for like to put their wings on him like you saw Kawhi. that was Kawhi's initial matchup um you saw marcus morris spend some time on him you saw paul george spend some time on him you saw nicholas batum spend some time on him um and that's and porzingis isn't somebody that's like a really like he he is he is statistically um a good post up player, but that's not somebody that's gonna scare you in the post. And if you're throwing the ball into KP in the post, that's a win, honestly. So I just don't like the series for him. And from the Clippers' vantage point, unless he's picking and popping and making like a ton of threes, um, he doesn't strike any 
fear because he can't put the ball on the floor against any of the Clippers' wings. They'll just take the ball, as they did today. Um, I tweeted it out during the game. They had him in jail, and I don't know how KP gets around that unless he's, like, making, like, a ton of, like, trail threes or picking and popping and making threes, like, from the top of the arc. He made one at the beginning of the game, and that's, like, pretty much it. Um, he can't do much else against the Clippers defense because they're kind of just in his jersey and he doesn't have much alternatives. So to your point, um, the 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 way the Mavericks are going to get into the series is like pick and roll basketball and spraying the ball around the perimeter and maybe using um, Kristaps Porzingis as more of like a, a guy around the basket um, a decoy of sorts, but nah, I'm, I'm, he's not someone that I'm thinking too much about. In fact, I thought that the Clippers could have attacked him more on offense. I'm, I, I don't, I'm, I don't think um, he's particularly great as far as like guarding in space. And I thought the Clippers left let him off, let him off the hook a bit. So, I, in summary, KP is not. When I was thinking about why this series would be like a challenge and why Dallas was good, I honestly, Kristaps Porzingis was not one of the reasons that jumped out at me. Yeah, it's interesting because you would think that a guy in KP's caliber would be someone you would be fearful of, but it, it seems like you're okay if he takes those deep threes. And I think I, I am. I am. As I mean, it's. I'd rather have the ball in his hands. I feel like at this point than Finney Smith and it, with Hardaway Jr. Because those two guys just shoot the basketball well, and it seems like the ball moves better when those two are getting looks. So uh, I'm curious to see how that one plays out. Before we close things up, Father's Day is just around the corner, and you probably need a gift for a hairy dad. Make your dad proud this year and get him and yourself the Manscaped Lawnmower 4.0. You heard that right, 4.0. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code HOOPBALL20 at manscaped.com. Justin, Manscaped's the only men's brand dedicated to blow the waist screaming and just launched their lawnmower 4.0. Imagine surprising your dad with a sleek, well-designed, and optimized body hair trimmer that says, your balls will thank you on the box. Yep, it says that. How is this lawnmower 4.0 different from other trimmers? Well, this upgraded trimmer includes a multi-function on-off switch that can engage a travel lock. It's a great feature if your father or yourself does a lot of traveling. Of course, it's got the LED light. It's got that incredible trimmer that reduces nicks and cuts. Get 20% off free shipping with the code HOOPBALL20 at manscaped.com. Don't forget that you came from your father and you want to look good just like your father. So show him the original, show him some love with Manscaped. All right, Justin, what else do we want to hit on? Anything else? Because I think the biggest points were really Luka and how you defend him going forward. I think the Clippers three-point shooting is going to improve um, and the role players for Dallas. I think those are the biggest talking points and, of course, the guards as well. Anything else you want to touch on? Um, no, nah, not for me. I, I think um, moving forward for the Clippers, it's all about figuring out what coverage do they want to employ with Luca and sticking with that and having the courage to stick with that, whether it's whether he's making shots or not. So if you choose to switch on Luca and make him a scorer, then you've got to stick with that. Even if he's making shots, stick with it and see it through. And if you want to make him a passer, then you've got to stick with that. Even if Dorian Finney Smith and Tim Hardaway Jr. are burning Staples Center down with jumpers. But today, 
both happen and you can't have both happen um or else you you have no chance at winning so um moving forward i think the clippers were just so discombobulated defensively which is probably expected right this is their first game in like really over a week man and so um hopefully they come out with a sense of urgency for game two and more than a sense of urgency, they come out committed to a way that they want to defend Luca and they stick with it. I think sticking with it and doing it hard is the, is the way to go here. Um, there's not, there's not a clean way to guard Luca, but you just have to commit to something. You have to commit to something and you have to see it through and you have to do it hard. So that's, that's kind of like where I'm at with it right now. Yeah. I think they need to come out, and actually punch Dallas in the mouth a little bit. I think you need to assert yourself as being a team that is a contender for the NBA title. You can't sit back. and You need to come out. You need to start well. I think the player to watch in game two is Marcus Morris. I think he's going to be very important to what the Clippers do with this postseason. He shot the ball very well from three this season. He was not good today. He was 0 for 6 from three. During the season, he shot 47% from three. You need him to hit his open shots. He was not hitting his open shots in his game. So in this game, so I think Marcus Morris is the player to watch this game. Yeah, absolutely. And like you know, you can summarize so much of what happened today um, just by looking at some of the role players, like. Dorian Finney-Smith is a he's turned himself into a really good 3 and D guy and yeah. you know even before this series I love them but Marcus Morris shot like 47% from 3 for the year or yeah. something like that yeah. and he didn't make a 3 <laughs> Dorian Finney-Smith did not shoot that from the year and he went 4 or 5 from 3 and so when it comes to somebody like Marcus Morris um he can be um high variance at times but He's one of the guys I expect to have a bounce back game. Um, I think he's built enough equity to suggest that the shooting is legit with him. And I'm not, I don't I don't foresee him having a, another game where he's going 0 for 6 from the three point line. So I'm looking forward to seeing how he bounce backs for sure. Yeah, me too, man. You look up and all of a sudden we have almost hit damn near nine o'clock and we started almost an hour ago. So Justin, a big thank you. You can follow Justin on Twitter at LA Clippers film. He does a great job tweeting during the games. Also between games, he breaks stuff down as well. One of the best follows on Twitter and honestly, one of the best podcast guests. So Justin, a big thank you to you, my man. Thank you for having me on. Um, you mentioned at the beginning of the show that, um, you're going to try and get me on more often during the playoffs. And, you know, I'm with that. I'm with that. Um, it's go time. It's go time. I'm looking forward to game two and seeing how the Clippers bounce back. Game two is on Tuesday. Hopefully the Clippers fare better than I am. Brandon Marcus at BD Marcus on Twitter at Hoopball Clips is the Twitter handle for the podcast. Until next time, he's Justin. I'm Brandon. Appreciate you listening. And until next time, go Clips. This has been a Hoop Bowl presentation. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, 
and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.